Hi guys. How are you? Welcome to another episode. I'm your teacher, Mrs. Ford. It's 8.25 p.m. on Wednesday, May 27th, and we are going to talk about chapter seven. This is a long chapter, and I don't want anyone to be discouraged by that. Um, I want you to just kind of stick with me, and even if you kind of read a little bit and listen a little bit, that's okay. Um, you know, it's a tough book, and we're not together, which makes it hard, but it's not impossible. And I think that if you're listening to this, then that means that you're taking your education seriously. And let's get through a hard chapter of literature together. Okay, so here we go. Um, chapter seven, remember chapter six, oh my gosh, it was so amazing. Gatsby and Daisy reunited. Oh, sorry, that wasn't, um, oh yeah. Hold on, wait, let me make sure that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then Tom, and he doesn't approve of anything. So what we're doing, and I mentioned this in my video notes, is or my um, video check-in, like the tension is building. And ultimately, something's got to give, right? In the in this chapter, in the very beginning, it's going to become clear to you that like Daisy and Gatsby have been having a consistent affair. And in the movie, that's made really clear, if you know what I mean. Um and then, so something has to happen, right? Um, but I want to just tee this up thematically and then we'll get started. What is key here, and this is why I love this as a great work of literature, is because F. Scott Fitzgerald sees things in the culture of the 1920s that was hard to see at the time. And that by, by that specifically, I mean the role of women. That's one of many things he was able to see very clearly. Because as I've said before in the podcast, this isn't really Daisy's choice. And it can't be J Daisy's choice based on the time period that she lives in. She's not in a position to make a choice. That was kind of like what women were up against. And if you guys remember that crazy John Green video that we watched like the day before we left, there's this element of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, yeah. Contradictions. Women and so many other groups in the U.S. in the 1920s, it's like we feel they felt more free, but really they weren't. Everything was two steps forward, three steps back. And so for Daisy, this exact cultural paradox is happening to her in the book, which is why this is a great work of literature. It captures an era incredibly well. So Daisy is caught, right? She is obviously, she feels free. She feels like she can do what she wants, but ultimately she can't because she's, um, a man is in charge of her. But the way that it's written is just really well done. So that's the confrontation that we're going to see. And I think I say this every year when we get to chapter seven, I think people think they know how this is going to all end and you just don't. And that's another characteristic of, characteristic of a really good book is that you're like, oh my God, I did not see that coming. Let's get started. All right. In the opening scene, um, Nick realizes that Gatsby has stopped throwing the parties and, um, he goes over there and I'm going to read this. It says, wondering if he were sick, I went over to find out an unfamiliar butler with a villainous face squinted at me suspiciously, excuse me, from the open door. Um, is Gatsby sick? Nope. After a pause, he added, sir, in a dilatory, grudging way. Um, then he's like, oh, tell him I came over and the guy's like, what's your name? And then he slams the door. And then the woman who works for Nick says that Gatsby has dismissed every servant in his house and replaced them with half a dozen others who never went to West Village, West Egg Village, um, to be bribed by tradesmen, but ordered a moderate supplies over the phone. Um, the grocery boy reported that the kitchen looked like a pigsty, and the general opinion in the village was that the new people weren't servants at all. 
Okay. So then I'm going to read you this quote. The next day Gatsby calls Nick on the phone and he says, going away. And um, Gatsby says, no old sport. And then Nick says, I heard you fired all your servants. And then he's Gatsby says, I wanted somebody who wouldn't gossip. Daisy comes over quite often in the afternoons. Okay, there you go, everyone. So they are having an affair. Um, and then he says, so the Nick comments, so the whole caravansary had fallen in like a house of cards at the disapproval in her eyes. Um, and so this is kind of how it gets teed up, which is to say they're having the affair. And remember, in chapter six, Gatsby says to Nick, look, it's very simple. I just really want Daisy to say to Tom, I never loved you. And then their marriage will end. My life can finally begin. And that's what Gatsby is imagining is going to actually happen someday. And actually, it might happen in this chapter. So let's keep reading. Um, so then it turns out that Gatsby's calling Nick because he's saying, hey, Nick, I'm calling at Daisy's request. And the Nick says in the book, when I come to lunch at her house tomorrow, Daisy's house, Miss Baker would be there. Half an hour later, Daisy herself telephoned and seemed relieved to find that I was coming. Something was up. And yet I couldn't believe that they would choose this occasion for a scene, especially for the rather harrowing scene that Gatsby had laid out in the garden. So Nick imagines, sorry guys, I'm yawning a lot. Nick imagines that Daisy's having Gatsby, Nick, Jordan all over for lunch. And Tom will of course be there. And Nick's like, oh my God, are they really going to like confront Tom and end the marriage right there? Now I have to digress here to tee up what's going to happen next. So then the next day comes, they're having lunch together at Daisy's house. But one thing that happens in great works of literature and in, in great movies also is that the author has to like make the author gets to decide how scenes are going to play out. And in this scene specifically, we see something that we see in other books and that is the use of weather as a, um, a way to build tension. So we talked about weather earlier in chapter uh, five when it rained and then the sun came out and how that also mimics what's happening in the scene. In this scene, it's really freaking hot. And that's super important because in real life and in novels, when it's really hot, people fight. Um, you guys have been in high school long enough to know that we, like, well, we haven't had a fight break out in our school in a long time. Well, not that I can remember. Um, there was like a ninth grade fight last year. Remember that, guys? But anyway... We kind of know that when it gets hot out, tensions start to rise, and this is when people fight. And authors also use this in their books. So like in Romeo and Juliet, if you guys remember, it's a super hot summer in Italy. And we have these, these um, feuds, these fights that break out between the Montagues and the Capulets. We got the opening scene. We got Tybalt and Romeo. Um, so people fight when it's super hot. And this is something that happens in real life. But also, you've got to imagine like, it also builds the tension. It makes people anxious and annoyed and it builds the volatility in the characters. So of course, Fitzgerald is going to first, or I should say initially, he will go to great lengths at the beginning and throughout the scene to remind us how hot it is on this day. And if you're also going to note that when I post the video later, the filmmakers also go to great lengths to emphasize how hot it is on this day. Um, and remember it's 1922. There is no air conditioning anywhere, anywhere people. 
So over this past weekend, we had a really hot weekend. Some of you were probably like, oh, my house was freezing cold. It was amazing. Others, just like my friends, are texting me saying, you know, this is awful. So if you're living without air conditioning, like you get it. The heat can really make you crazy. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read from the bottom of page 120 in the paperback. The next day was broiling at almost the last, certainly the warmest of the summer. Okay, there we go. So then Nick t talks about getting on the train. So he gets on the train and it's so hot um, that he like picks up um, a woman's pocketbook and his thumb like leaves an imprint of sweat on it. The conductor says, hot, hot, some weather, hot, hot, hot. Is it hot enough for you? Is it? It is. Um, and so like, you know, again, we're just, everybody's commenting how hot it is. Okay. So then Nick arrives at the Buchanan house and it's, they don't have air conditioning either. Remember that he arrives at the Buchanan house and, um, they're trying their best to cool the room off. So it gets there. It says the room shadowed well with awnings was dark and cool. Daisy and Joy Jordan lay upon an enormous couch, like silver idols weighing down their own white dresses against the sing the singing breeze of the fans. We can't move, they said together. Jordan's fingers, powdered white over their tan, rested for a moment in time. Um, and so they're kind of looking around. Um, Gatsby is there, which is kind of awkward because Tom is there. Okay, so it says um, Gatsby's in the room and, and Nick asks, like, hey, where's Tom? And then um, Jordan says, the rumor is, whispered Jordan, that, that that's Tom's girl on the phone. We were silent. This is Nick talking. The voice in the hall rose high with annoyance. Very well, then. I won't sell you the car at all. I'm under no obligations to you at all. And as for bothering me about it at lunchtime, I won't stand it at all. Holding down the receiver, said Daisy cynically. Now, you guys might not know how phones work, but like a, the receiver is like the little button that you would push to hang up the phone. So Daisy is saying, oh, he's like yelling into the phone. But he's, he's holding down the receiver like he's already hung up the call. So he's, he's trying to pretend like he's not talking to his mistress, but he really is. Um, okay. So then Nick, so then Tom bursts in the door and says, Mr. Gatsby. He put out his broad, flat hand with a well-concealed dislike. I'm glad to see you, sir, Nick. And then Daisy says, make us a cold drink, cried Daisy. As he left the room again, she got up and went over to Gatsby and pulled his face down, kissing him on the mouth. You know I love you, she murmured. Um, and this is the thing that I want you to notice about Daisy in this scene. She's acting very bold, right? Like, if we were in class, I would tell you that Daisy was feeling herself, because that's, like, an expression people use when, like, you know, they're they're occupying their own bodies in a very bold and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? almost like dangerously confident way. So that this is Daisy in part one of this whole debacle is she kind of bosses Tom around. And then at, right after Tom walks out of the room, she grabs Gatsby and she kisses on the lips. And then Jordan kind of calls her out. She's like, Hey, what are you doing? And then Daisy says, I don't care. Cried Daisy and began to clog on the brick fireplace. Um, okay. Then you guys, this scene, this next thing comes in. Um, so Daisy sits back down on a couch and just as a freshly laundered nurse leading a little girl came into the room. Now nurse here kind of means nanny, right? We're going like old school childcare here. Okay. This is Daisy talking. Blessed precious. She crooned holding out her arms. Come to your own mother that loves you. 
The child, relinquished by the nurse, rushed across the room and rooted shyly into her mother's dress. Blessed precious, did mother get powder in your old yellow hair? Stand up now and say, howdy-do. Gatsby and I, in turn, leaned down and took the small, reluctant hand. Afterward, he kept looking at the child with surprise. I don't think he had ever really believed in in its existence before. That is a small but important line. And I'm going to tell you why. Gatsby, like, remember, he has a really hard time processing reality. So when he looks at the kid, he's like, huh. Like, as if he hasn't even processed this, you know, potential roadblock in his plan. And I think this moment speaks to Gatsby's inability to understand reality, but also, like, his plan isn't in reality. Like, what's he going to do with a kid? Like, what, are we going to have joint custody? No. Okay. So let's keep going. Um... So then Daisy's trying to like, you know, doing all this ridiculous baby talk to her daughter. And she says, how do you like your mother's friends? Daisy turned her around so that she faced Gatsby. Do you think they're pretty? And the little girl looks at Gatsby and says, where's daddy? Um, And then Daisy says, she doesn't look like her father. She looks like me. Um, And her name's Pammy. What a weird name. Sorry, Pam's out there. Um, But I think that's a strange name for a little girl. Anyway, the girl leaves. Okay. So just like that little moment, that little glimpse of the girl, you know, and like she looks at Gatsby and says, where's my dad? Like, like, who's this idiot? All right. Tom comes back in the room and he's carrying four gin Rickies. Remember, we always have to have a drink in our hand in this book. Okay. Um, so everybody starts drinking. And then Tom says, I read somewhere that the sun's getting hotter every year, said Tom genially. It seems that pretty soon the earth's going to fall into the sun. Or, uh, wait a minute, it's just the opposite. The sun's getting colder every year. Come outside, he suggested to Gatsby. I'd like you to have a look at the place. So then they all walk out on the veranda, and um, they're looking out on the sound, and then Gatsby says, I'm right across from you. So you are. And then they both look across the the Long Island Sound, and they see um, boats and... um, You know, Gatsby points out that he lives across the bay from them. Okay. So then they go to the dining room to have dinner, to have lunch, sorry. And uh, Daisy says, what will we do with ourselves this afternoon, cried Daisy, and the day after that in the next 30 years. Um, This is a really interesting quote on on Daisy's part because it kind of shows her concept of time, which is like, you know, remember her opening quote in chapter one, like, oh, I'm so sophisticated. You know, she has such a frustration with life. Like she's always looking for like a party or a trip or a whatever, but it's kind of only to escape her own sad reality. And then Jordan says right after this comment, don't be morbid. Jordan said life starts all over again when the, when it gets crisp in the fall. And this is really Jordan's concept, which is like, this is Jordan's concept of time, which is, you know, you can make all the mistakes you want because life just starts over again. And this is sadly something that we're going to talk about at the end, which is like how the wealthy or privileged see this concept of like, I get excused from all my bad behaviors. And remember, Jordan is a character who has found her way out of bad behavior. Okay. Then Daisy says, but it's just so hot, insisted Daisy on the verge of tears and everything's so confused. Let's all go to town. Her voice struggled on through the heat, beating against it, molding it, molding its senselessness into forms. I've heard of making a garage out of a stable, Tom was saying to Gatsby, but I'm the first man who ever made a stable out of a garage. Who wants to go to town, demanded Daisy insistently. Gatsby's eyes floated toward her. Ah, she cried, you look so cool. 
their eyes met and they stared at each other, alone in space. With an effort, she glanced down at the table. You always look so cool, she repeated. Ooh, do you guys know what she just did? Okay, I think you know, but I want to pause here. They just made eye contact, okay, in a way that, like, you don't do with somebody unless you're, like, in a relationship with them or married to them or whatever. And just this little teeny tiny eye contact and her saying, you look, you look so cool. You always look so cool. The next line in the book says, she had told him that she loved him. And Tom Buchanan saw. He was astounded. His mouth opened a little and he looked at Gatsby and then back at Daisy as if he had just recognized her as someone he knew a long time ago. So, so Tom recognizes this glance and he's like, what the, right? Like he, in a, in half a second, although he's kind of dumb in half a second, he's like, oh, I know what is happening between you two and I'm not here for it. But remember the tension has to build. So he's not going to explode right here. Like we got to get there slowly. Okay, so um, then Daisy's sort of like lost in thought, and she says, You're, you resemble the advertisement of the man, she went on innocently. You know the man in the advertisement. All right, broke in Tom quickly. I'm perfectly willing to go to town. Come on, we're all going to town. He got up, his eyes flashing between Gatsby and his wife, and, um, and no one moved. Okay, so you want to you notice in this moment, and in the next couple moments, Tom is going to sound very out of control, Okay. And his, oh, he's like a gorilla. His whole objective in this scene is to regain control over his woman because that's the type of jerk that Tom is. And he will, he is, he, he's got to do it. He's got to muscle his way to get control back over his woman, his, his wife. Okay. So then he says, come on. His temper cracked a little. What's the matter? If we're going to, if we're going to town and let's start, his hand trembling, his hand trembling with his effort at self-control, because he can't control himself, bore his lips the last of his glass of ale. Daisy's voice got us to our feet and out onto the blazing gravel. Are we just going to go, she objected, like this? Aren't we going to let everyone smoke a cigarette first? Everyone smoked all through lunch. He, she be- um, And then she says, oh, let's have fun, she begged him. It's too hot to fuss. Um, hold on, wait. Oh, I missed something. Shoot. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Oh, shoot. Where'd it go? Shoot, there's this one part. Well, oh, no, no, no. It's later. Sorry. I forgot something. Okay, so they're arguing in the driveway. And then um, we have a moment here that's really, really important for me to point out. Um, Okay. So they're out in the driveway, and Tom and Daisy are arguing. And um, so... Then they're sort of going back and forth and they sing, let's bring a bottle of whiskey. And then we have, so Tom, sorry. So Nick and Gatsby are out in the driveway and he, Nick says to um, Gatsby, he says about remarking about Daisy's voice. He says, she's got an indiscreet voice. I remarked it's full of, and then Nick is like, huh, I can't think of what the voice is full of. And then Gatsby says, it's full of money, he said suddenly. And this is huge, guys. Okay, and then Nick has this commentary that I want to read. That was it. I'd never understood before. It was full of money. 
That was the inexhaustible charm that rose and fell in it, the jingle of it, the symbols of it, high in a white palace, the king's daughter, the golden girl. Okay, and I like this quote because, number one, it really solidifies for us, like, why it's Daisy that Gatsby wants. Is it because of her personality, her sense of humor? No, it's because she is money, right? She is the golden girl. And if Gatsby is going to achieve this American dream of, you know, Mr. Rags to Riches, he's got to have this one woman. And so is it love? I don't know. That's something that we would talk about as a class. But it's, it's a lot of this is her status. And of course, her beauty and all of those things. Okay. So then Tom comes back out. They got the whiskey and the towel. And now they're going to talk about, well, who's going to drive? So this is important for later. So um, Gatsby says, shall we go in my car? Um, and he says, oh, I should have left it in the shade. And then Tom, like out of nowhere says, hey, you take my coupe and let me drive your car to town. And then Gatsby's like, I don't really like that. So Gatsby says, I don't think there's much gas in it. And then Tom's like, plenty of gas. He looks at the gauge. And if it runs out, I can stop at a drugstore. You can buy anything at a drugstore nowadays. And Tom is trying to make, like, he's trying to get a jab in at Gatsby, but it it doesn't really do much. Um, So then Tom says, come on, Daisy, pressing her with his hand. Remember, he's always moving people toward Gatsby's car. I'll take you in this circus wagon. And remember, like, we have different definitions of money. So the fact that Tom calls Gatsby's car a circus wagon is important. He's saying that Gatsby is too flashy with his money. And then, wait, but this is good. Daisy says, you take Nick and Jordan. We'll follow you in the coupe. She walked close to Gatsby, touching his coat with her hand. Jordan and Tom and I got into the front seat of Gatsby's car. Tom pushed the unfamiliar gears tentatively as we shot off into the oppressive heat, leaving them out of sight behind, out of sight behind. So again, Tom feels out of control. His wife just was like, I'm I'm, going to ride with this hot guy in your car. Peace out. And okay. So just so you guys know, Tom, Nick, and Jordan are in Gatsby's car, which is the yellow Rolls Royce. And then um, Daisy and Gatsby are together in Tom's car, which is blue. Okay. So then they get in the car and Tom says to Nick, did you see that? Demanded Tom. See what? He looked at me keenly, realizing that Jordan and I must have known all along. You think I'm pretty dumb, don't you? He suggested. Perhaps perhaps I am, but I have a almost a second sight sometimes that tells me what to do. Maybe you don't believe that, but science... He paused. The immediate contingency overtook him, pulled him back from the edge of the theoretical abyss. I love that line. Um... Then Tom says, I've made a small investigation of this fellow, he continued. I could have gone deeper if I had known. Do you mean you've been to a medium? Inquired Jordan humorously. What? Confused, he started. He stared at us while we laughed. A medium? About Gatsby? About Gatsby? No, no, I haven't. I said I've been making a small investigation of his past. And you found out he was an Oxford man, said Jordan helpfully. An Oxford man? He was incredulous. Like hell he is. He wears a pink suit. Nevertheless, he's an Oxford man. Oxford, New Mexico, Tom snorted contemptuously, or something like that. Um, And then Jordan says, listen, Tom, if you're such a snob, why did you invite him to lunch? Demanded Jordan crossly. Daisy invited him. She knew him before we were married. God knows where. And then Nick says, 
We were all irritable now with fading ale, and aware of it, we drove for a while in silence. Then, as Dr. T.J. Eckelberg's faded eyes came into sight down the road, I remembered Gatsby's caution about gasoline. We've got enough to get us to town, said Tom. But there's a garage right here, objected Jordan. I don't want to get stalled in this baking heat. Tom threw on the brakes impatiently as we slid in abruptly into an abruptly dusty spot under Wilson's sign. After a moment, the proprietor, Wilson, emerged from the interior of his, of his establishment and gazed hollow-eyed at the car. Let's have some gas, cried Tom roughly. Now, okay, this is getting even more complicated. Tom's in Gatsby's car. The, the car has run out of gas, so he pulls over to Wilson's garage, which yet another secret is sitting there. Myrtle, his mistress, lives here, and Nick knows, but Jordan doesn't, and Myrtle, she doesn't know who Jordan is, so the confusion keeps going. Okay, um, we're going to read a little more, and then we'll, we'll stop for the night. I know this is a long podcast episode, but trust me, we've got a ways to go. Okay, so then Tom is really mad, and Wilson finally comes out, and he looks sick, and... Um, Tom's like, what's wrong with you? And Wilson says, um, I've been here too long. I got, I want to get away. My wife and I want to go west. And Tom's like, your wife does? Tom, Tom startled. And then it, um, Wilson says, she's been talking about it for 10 years. That's my Wilson voice, guys. He rested for a moment against the pump, shading his eyes. And now she's going whether she wants to or not. I'm going to get her away. The, so then a car drives by and... Um, Tom sees that it's Daisy and Gatsby driving by. So he's like in a hurry, right? He feels like, oh, my wife's in the car and she's going to town with this guy. I got to go. And then um, Wilson says, I just wised up to something funny in the last two days, remarked Wilson. That's why I want to get away. That's why I've been bothering you about the car. What do I owe you? Dollar 20. So then, um, so then I got to read this part. The relentless beating heat was beginning to confuse me, and I had a bad moment there before I realized that so far his suspicions hadn't alighted on Tom. He had discovered that Myrtle had some sort of life apart from him in another world, and the shock made him physically sick. I stared at him and then at Tom, who had made a parallel discovery less than an hour before, and it occurred to me that there was no difference between men in intelligence or race so profound as the difference between the sick and the well. Wilson was so sick that he looked guilty, unforgivably guilty, as if he had just gotten got some poor girl with child. Okay, so this is important. So Wilson has discovered that Myrtle is having an affair, and he discovered this because he found the dog leash in the drawer, but he doesn't know who she's having the affair with. Well, we know as the reader, she's having the affair with Tom, and he's standing right there at the gas station. Now, um, so then... Nick is saying like, oh, these two have both recognized that their wives are cheating on them. But, and they're both totally equal, except for the fact that they're not at all equal. Okay. I got to read another uh, paragraph here. Um, in one of the windows over the garage, the curtains had been moved aside a little and Myrtle Wilson was peering into the car. So engrossed was she that she had no consciousness of being observed and one emotion after another crept into her face like objects into a slowly developing picture. Her expression was curiously familiar. It was an expression I often, I had often seen on women's faces, but on Myrtle, Myrtle Wilson's face, it seemed purposeless 
and inexplicable until I realized that her eyes, wide with jealous terror, were fixed not on Tom, but on Jordan Baker, whom she took to be his wife. Okay, so Myrtle Wilson witnesses Tom in a yellow car driving with a woman, and she falsely assumes that the woman in the car is his wife. Okay, the next sentence is one of my favorite sentences in the entire book, and this is it. There is no confusion like the confusion of a simple mind, and as we drove away, Tom was feeling the hot whips of panic. (laughs) It's so great. Okay, uh, Nick goes on to say, his wife and mistress, until an hour ago, secure and inviolate, were slipping perceptibly from his control. And this is really important. Tom, again, feels extremely out of control. His wife is seeing another man. His girlfriend or mistress is leaving town. And he like doesn't know what to do. The guy's falling apart. And remember, as an extremely powerful, white, wealthy male in the 1920s, this is not a feeling that he is used to. And this is not a feeling that he likes. You want to keep that in mind. Okay. So um, we're going to... We're going to do like a few more pages. So they get to, they kind of go back and forth yelling from crowded car about where they're going to go. And then they decide that they're going to go rent a room at the Plaza Hotel. Okay. And um, Nick says the prolonged tumultuous argument that had ended by hurting us into a room eludes me. Though I have a sharp physical memory that in the course of it, my underwear kept climbing like a damp snake around my legs and intermittent beads of sweat race cool across my back. Oh, my recording's going to run out in 20 seconds. Hold on. Okay, guys, I'm back. <laughs> okay, this is a long episode. I want to get through like one more thing. Okay, I got to see this next scene up. So we're in the Plaza Hotel. And, you know, they got nothing to do. They're super rich on a super hot day. They go to the Plaza Hotel. Okay. Um, Here we go. The The room was very large and stifling. Remember, it's hot. It's stifling. The tension's building. And though it was already four o'clock, opening the windows admitted only a gust of hot shrubbery from the park. Daisy went to the mirror and stood with her back to us fixing her hair. It's a swell suite, whispered Jordan respectfully, and everyone laughed. Open another window, commanded Daisy without turning around. There aren't any more. Well, we'd better telephone for an axe. The thing to do is to forget about the heat, said Tom impatiently. You make it ten times worse by crabbing about it. He unrolled the bottle of whiskey from the towel and put it on the table. Why not let her alone, old sport, remarked Gatsby. You're the one that wanted to come to town. Oh! snap okay the first kind of like I don't want to say punch but like these two are just going to kind of go back and forth and this is kind of the first time you know like Gatsby tells him to to like leave his wife alone and that does not going to sit well with Tom okay so then it says there was a moment of silence the telephone book slipped from its nail and splashed on the floor whereupon Jordan whispered excuse me but this time no one laughed Okay, so then Gatsby picks up the telephone book. So the telephone book kind of like interrupts that first confrontation. And then um, Tom says, that's a, great, that's a great expression of yours, isn't it? Said Tom sharply. What is? All this old sport business. Where'd you pick that up? Now see here, Tom, said Daisy, turning around from the mirror. If you're going to make personal remarks, I won't stay here another minute. Call up and order some ice for the mint julep. 
As Tom took up the receiver, the compressed heat exploded into sound, and we were listening to the pretentious chords of Mendelssohn's wedding march from the ballroom below. Imagine marrying anybody in this heat, cried Jordan. Um, still, I was married in the middle of June, Daisy remembered. Louisville in June. Somebody fainted. Who was it fainted, Tom? Biloxi, his answer shortly. Okay, then there's this little scene of conversation where um, the group, everyone except Gatsby, recalls this random person, Bill Biloxi, or sorry, um, Blocks Biloxi. Wait, I'm, hold on. Yeah, Blocks Biloxi. And it's like, it's not really relevant to the plot, but how the conversation kind of ends um, is that Jordan says, there's this comment where um, at the end um, or at the end of the conversation on the next page, Jordan says, remember Biloxi, Jordan Warner? Where'd you know him, Tom? And Tom says, Biloxi? He concentrated with an effort. I didn't know him. He was a friend of Daisy's. He was not. She denied. I'd never seen him before. He came down in the private car. Well, he said he knew you. He said he was raised in Louisville. Asa Bird brought him around at the last minute and asked if we had a room for him. Jordan smiled. He was probably bumming his way home. He told me he was the president of your class at Yale. Tom and I looked at each other blankly. Biloxi? First place, we didn't have any presidents. Or we didn't have a president. So they're just kind of having this side conversation about somebody who lied about who they really were. And this, of course, reminds Tom that he's got some business that he wants to get to the bottom of. And so Nick narrates, Gatsby's foot, a short, restless tattoo, and Tom eyed him suddenly. So Gatsby's like sitting there tapping his foot because remember, he's always kind of nervous. And then Tom says, by the way, Mr. Gatsby, I understand you're an Oxford man. And then Gatsby says, not exactly. And then Tom says, oh, yes, I understand you went to Oxford. Yes, I went there. A pause. And then Tom's voice incredulous and insulting. You must have gone there about the time Biloxi went to New Haven. And so, of course, what he's saying there is you didn't go to Oxford at all. Just like Biloxi lied about going to Yale. Um, okay, so I want to pause here for the night because this is really the beginning of the, of the tension. I'm going to post a video um, on Friday morning to Google Classroom where they talk about making this scene. This is a big scene. Um, so if you, I would suggest like reading the whole chapter or listening to both podcast episodes and then watching the scene so it makes more sense. But um, this is this is like the, the moment it's going to break wide open. So go ahead and read ahead if you guys want. Um, or you can tune back in on Friday night for the second half of chapter seven. Thank you so much for listening. I love you all very much. Bye.